0: This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by the Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 23, 13 through 24, in which Jesus warns against hypocrisy. Together, we will be discussing the importance of leading well and aligning our hearts with our outward actions. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany.
1: I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano Podcast, back with you to continue our journey through Matthew chapter 23. Um, If you've been with us, you know that you've been with us for a while journeying through Matthew, and uh, it's going to continue for the foreseeable future. So as we are working through Matthew 23, just as a heads up, we'll be looking at uh, 23 verses 13 through 24 uh, today. So we'll we'll kind of take the first half of the chunk of what is identified as the seven woes um, on the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. But before we get into that, I just want to give a reminder of where we're coming from from the beginning of Matthew chapter 23. Um, so last week, um, at the beginning of this chapter, we we read about how Jesus warns against hypocrisy. And as a result of that, we uh, discuss the importance of loving others by keeping their loads light and our hearts humble. And, and so, with that in mind, we move into this conversation of, of woes uh, towards the Pharisees. And so, uh, I believe we have Brittany reading for us today. So, Brittany, would you read Matthew 23 13 through 24?
2: Verse 13. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools, what is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that you swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind? For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it, and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it, and by God, who lives in it. And When you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God, and by God, who sits on the throne. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the m- more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you don't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel.
1: All right, thank you for reading that, Brittany. Um, so let's go ahead and just jump right into this one. Uh, what do you guys see what's standing out to you? What observations do you have?
3: I think one of the first things that, that sticks out to me is it seems that the setting is still the same, that he's still there among the crowd, but that his attention has shifted to the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees as he walks through these, these seven woes. And also, you know, we see woe mentioned several times here, at least in the NIV. And so I think it's good for us to kind of look at, at what, what is, what has been meant in the past and what that kind of means in this context. And so, um, woe was a cry of lament in ancient Israelite times, and so they would have been that that, that thought would have made them like overwhelmed with with tragedy or, or grief. Um, but in this instance, um, Jesus is, you know, coming with, with judgment for for the the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the impending judgment that's coming um, from God. So on on them.
1: And also with that, I I think that um, something that I was reading that that was very interesting uh, is the idea that these woes that Jesus pronounces here over the Pharisees or at at the Pharisees um, are contrasted with the blessing statements um, in in the Beatitudes in in Matthew chapter 5 where, you know, Jesus is pronouncing these blessings over over the the least of these, um, and then here as we're kind of nearing the end of his ministry time, he is pronouncing the this judgment over those who typically find themselves in higher places. So instead of being the least of these, you might recognize them as probably the most of these, <laughs> I don't know how to word that, but um, I just thought that was, that was very interesting to, to kind of see that contrasted against, against that.
3: And, and it really follows like where we ended last week right? Um, on verse 12, where it says for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So it's, it's kind of a, a smooth transition basically from where Jesus, where it ended in this last block that we were on into this.
0: And that seems to be exactly what Jesus is doing because it's necessary to pave the way for the ministry that will follow after Jesus' resurrection and ascension. He has to shake people's confidence in the authority of the present leaders because if there is no doubt that they are who they claim to be amongst the crowds then people's temptation to believe the disciples' word and the good news of the gospel is is going to be a lot more difficult than if he primes by really
1: calling out the junk.
0: Well yeah, and humbling them. I mean, yeah. publicly humbling them because I, I think I was wrestling with this in my mind. I'm like, goodness, this doesn't seem like Jesus has always been very, he is very like honest. But to to just when I think about this in human perspective, if we were to stand up and do this to somebody, it would only, it would be like you're smearing them. You would say you would never necessarily do that in public. That would never be appropriate to do to your superior ever, um, in a public setting. In the church, like they would encourage a private meeting, you know, and a whole bunch of other things to go before this. In fact, Paul's letters address those particular issues and and detail, you know, an appropriate way to handle this. And so I was like, what, what is Jesus doing here? Why would he do this? And I guess the God thought I'm going to think, I think it's a God thought, um, that came to me was, well, because I had to set the stage. Like people had to know who's a who, who had authority. And we just came from really talking about Jesus's authority, which was started by the Pharisees. Um, and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees are as asking, well, by what authority are you doing these things? And so it's like there's been this undermining of authority by their inability to trip him up. There's been this undermining of authority by him silencing them by his wise answers. And so now it's like this direct address of where where they really are in comparison to what what is before them. That is the Messiah. That is God present with them.
1: Well, what's before them and what? He is calling them to, like, moving beyond their understanding or interpretation of what he is calling them to, and him actually saying, "This is what you understand, but this is what I'm actually calling you to." It, I, something we kind of talked about last week as well.
0: Yeah, and I, I think Jesus, with that too, he's hoping. Probably, I, I'm sure. I'm sure he he loves them, right? And so he's right. he's he's desperately hoping that the questioning of their authority and by bringing them down and having them reach this aha moment, this low of the low, that he'll, that they'll, they'll see him, that their eyes will be opened and they'll see and they'll believe and they'll repent and, and be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because I mean, this first woe, I'm sure that's not, that's not God's intent for them. And certainly that's not Jesus's optimal desire for them.
1: So I, I think it might be appropriate for us to just take these in chunks, maybe, and, and kind of just work through the woes that we got to in, in our reading this week. We'll we'll finish the rest of the woes next week. But um, so let's let's start by just looking at what what is it? Verse thirteen uh, for, at the first woe. Uh, what. What is, he, what is he meaning? What, what are you understanding that he is meaning as you read this woe where he says, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to.
2: I think this goes back to what we talked about last week when we were talking about um, how they, um, they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. I, f- I feel like that is maybe a more specific, you know, kind of referring back to what he's already talked to them about.
1: I think to to go with that, as I was reading it, um, I kind of put myself in the place of a Pharisee.
0: Their vantage point.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we, we've been talking, like I said, we've been working through Matthew for a while. We've been talking about how, you know, the Pharisees were missing it. And last week we really kind of worked into this understanding that they like they were speaking the true words, but they their interpretation of that truth was misguided and misunderstood under it was a misunderstanding. And with that, I guess I hear this woe today. And I I hear Jesus saying like you guys are are calling people to this life. Like what this particular life that you are saying is the life that we are to live. But the life that you are calling people to is not the life that we as God have invited you guys to. And as a result of that, by you calling people to the life that you think it is, you are misleading them. And not only are you not going to get in, but as a result of you leading them where you are, they are not going to get in. And I I guess as I thought about that, I was like, man, this is why it is so critical and so important for me, for us to constantly be depending on Jesus and seeking Jesus and trying to understand from Jesus what he desires of us and, and where he wants to lead us. Because if we are not careful, it would be very easy to begin to take the lead. And we probably wouldn't be too far away from hearing one of these woes ourselves if we were the ones to take the lead and, and stop earnestly seeking Jesus and, and stop trying to better understand what he is calling us to. And, and so that, that was kind of the, the thought that I had, and it just made me realize how important it is for us to be dependent on him because we could easily mislead people.
0: I think it goes back to that conversation. I feel like we had several episodes ago where we talked about how people, like you are making disciples. People are following you. Exactly. The question is, what are you making them disciples of? Um, And so if your eyes aren't fixed on Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, then you can pretty well be certain that the people behind you are not with their eyes on Jesus. And even, I guess, perhaps a little bit more alarming and maybe make you feel the full weight of this, of this responsibility. If you think your eyes are on Jesus and you're blind, then everybody behind you is as blind as you.
3: As I, uh, as I was reading the commentary, I got this, this idea of, you know, even in the church, we can sometimes like have ideas of what we think's right. We kind of introduce rituals and we kind of have those practices that become commonplace if we're not careful, we, we allow those things to infiltrate so much that we've essentially blocked the door, not only for us, but for everyone else. Because we maybe we program so much that there's like limited access to the door or, or whatever we may have going on in our own situation. But it can be easy, it, just as easy as it is to look at the Pharisees and point fingers. You know How often have we been guilty of putting things right. in the way of the door And not only can we not get through, but neither can anyone else who we may be discipling.
1: Well, in that vein of, you know, talking about discipling, we can move on into the the next woe probably in in verse uh, 15, uh, where Jesus challenges them for being so zealous in their pursuit of others uh, and then ultimately leading them astray, right? Um, so is there, uh, I guess the, the question is, is there anything to add to the conversation? Is there anything else that maybe stands out as we move into this woe, um, that we might want to bring into, into the conversation today?
2: I think this woe emphasizes the need for accountability and discipleship. Like, I think it's very easy for, um, especially, you know, when we're new in Christ, We're so excited. There's this zeal and not that, you know, we should continue to have that zeal, but it's really easy for us to, you know, get excited and tell everybody about Jesus and what he's done. And if we're not careful, if we're not being held accountable, if we're not being discipled, we'll, we'll take those people all off on the wrong direction. And I think this, this will just really emphasizes the need for discipleship and accountability.
0: I think as it goes right along with what you were saying, Brittany, as as I w- w- we were reading through through this, this next woe, uh, I was thinking back to a conversation we had this week with a youth who has since graduated from high school, but was a part of our youth group for a time. And she was talking about how in her experiences in college, um, she had gotten some exposure with Eastern religions. And as a part of this, She she came to realize that there's certain aspects of the Eastern religions that actually seem to understand just naturally more about who God is and what he desires than we in the Western organized Christian church actually understand about God and that there's a lot of things that really we can learn from that. And so I think this, this part about going over land and sea to win this single convert we bring them over we want them to think exactly like we do and as we as we try to i guess chase out of them all of the things that are are native to to the culture then we end up i guess strangling essentially out of them some of the parts of the revelation god has given them about himself because they don't fit perfectly with our upbringing of who God is or or how, how he behaves, just because we have never thought about it that way. And so we try to reprogram instead of listening better, maybe, and then allowing both of us to shape one another, recognizing that new converts have have a lot to offer to us as well. And in fact, I think new converts, sometimes they help us see a world in a whole fresh perspective that really can, can transform it, it, it really can revive, honestly, a, an older Christian. And there's so much for us to learn about the newer converts. And so she gave, this this particular youth gave the example of of talking about other religions, but really we could talk about this within our own context. Just our different experiences make us like we've traveled over land and sea. Sometimes it feels like when we we go into neighboring ghettos or when we you know that can feel very very culturally different. And but there's a lot of things that we can learn from Christians baby Christians, uh, maybe even not quite yet Christians who are coming out of different uh, walks of life and different, different avenues. And so I think that was a, a call to me to remember not to indoctrinate people, but to allow their stories to be shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit as we journey together, not as we, I guess, lord over them and teach them what they need to know
3: essentially like we're trying to take the uniqueness that God has given them away and give them what we think that they need. Um, and, and almost take, I mean, it kind of, like you said, it, it it removes part of the story that God's given them and the uniqueness of, of who they are.
1: Uh, I'm thinking like two different things. One, like an affirmation of the conversation paul in romans one twenty one one twenty somewhere in there makes a statement that like God has been revealing himself through what is created since the beginning of creation, and so nobody is without excuse like God has revealed himself, and so even people who have not been introduced to judeo christian values like God has revealed himself through nature like that's that is affirmed in paul's letter to the romans um So there's that, but then also like the careful conversation of recognizing that God is God, right? Like God, and there's only one God. And so the other thing that I was thinking was again, kind of affirmation of what both of you were talking about when we go on missions trips or shoot, not even missions trips, like make it less like us, them when we, begin to engage in a conversation with somebody that we're, quote, working to lead to Jesus, typically, we do it in a way where we are trying to, I guess, reason to a way to help them think like we think about the situation. So instead of us seeing their perspective and hearing their perspective and then working to see Jesus in the midst of that, we hear their story and then try to tell them, yeah, but Jesus. And then like to carry, to carry that on, it goes back to the conversation with verse 13, which. Um, when you succeed, you make them twice as much childless of hell as you are. It just reiterates this importance of like, we are discipling people. What are we discipling them to? Like, when I am teaching, people are hearing and listening and are learning. Are they learning Jesus or are they learning Nick? Because Nick's not getting them to heaven. Nick's not helping them experience eternal life. Jesus, on the other hand, is.
2: What makes me think about like how in the church it's very much focused on numbers and getting people to say the prayer to but the focus really isn't there's not a whole lot of focus on the after like we're focused like we'll move we'll we'll cross the land we'll cross the sea to to get that convert but that's about the
3: extent of it it's like getting them to the door but not helping them get through
2: yeah shutting the door in their face
3: (laughs) it's like here's the door say this prayer and i'll open the door and then the work's on you it almost feels like to me like it's a like a warning to like the idea of cheap grace. Like I know that that's not really what's there, but as we have this conversation that's that's what it makes me think like we 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 cheapen grace and unintentionally we do make we make people worse off than they were before when we say like this is all you got to do and then you can go and live the way you want to or you know this prayer guarantees like if we do that like it really is making it worse for people because we're making grace so cheap and it, like there's no value associated with that. And so I can go and do what I want after this and I'll be cool because I said that prayer that one time. Well,
0: we're concerned about people being in the seats. Or following the law.
3: Yeah. If
0: they're they're showing up to their their Sabbath, and they're tithing as they should. They're dressed, they're dressed appropriately. That's
1: not something I, I struggle with. <laughs>
0: Those crop tops you've been wearing, Nick. I don't know. I don't
1: wear crop tops. (laughs) Thank God for that.
3: And and it's not that like I want to say that like to beat anyone up. I just think that we've made it too easy. We've made this path to Jesus like it doesn't cost anything. And I think this woe, these set of woe statements from Jesus is his way of saying, like, it costs something. If you're not willing... To give all, you might as well give nothing at all, um, because there's a great cost associated. And you can have the right laws, and you can keep those laws, but that's not
1: enough. So you saying what you just said made me think. So, you know, we beat up the Pharisees last week, week before, week before. (laughs) Jesus beat up. Well, no, he's the new we Peter. Beat up, we beat up, right? Yeah, we beat up the Pharisees. We're beating up the Pharisees right now. Jesus is beating up the Pharisees right now with these direct woes, um, and specifically, we were talking about like how uh, they they are placing um, what did we say? They're 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 placing cumbersome loads, and they're tying up heavy and cover some loads on people. And we talked about how that was like the law and their interpretation of the law. And they were just making it like impossible for people to, to walk in the life that they were calling for. And so in this time you have the Pharisees being people who are over complicating what God is calling them to. And it seems like today, perhaps if Jesus were to be speaking to the Pharisees, it would be an uh, the same accusation but in the opposite direction where instead of overcomplicating we have oversimplified and undervalued underrepresented the the requirements the expectations um, that come with salvation like it, it is a grace that is freely given but it costs everything.
0: So it's, it's almost like it's a reaction based on the experiences they've had. So I can't follow the law. I can't be obedient to every part of all these rules that are in place. So, but God still says some people are saved. So the only logical conclusion I can come to is it must be that God just deals with all of that and all I have to do is just say I believe
1: all right so let's uh let's push on into the next set and I know there there's kind of two different um woes that are going to happen one starting in verse 16 one starting in verse 23 um but these two pieces I will say just as kind of a, a literary context understanding are held together um by the opening words and the closing words. So the opening words of verse 16 and the closing words of verse 24 um, are, woe to you blind guides, and then you blind guides. And so there is like these bookends that are put on uh, these woes that hold them together. And so as we dive into these woes, let's keep that in mind as a part of this conversation. And so this one's an interesting one. I mean, you have, you know woes or or like judgment being pronounced as a result of the the way certain people make agreements or or swear by something so so what what are you guys thinking what is this drumming up in in your in your mind what is Jesus kind of putting his finger on as as we work through these verses
0: it seems like Jesus is pointing out kind of in both of these i can see this this theme that integrity for show is all that matters to them. Yeah. And again this is this is very contrary to what Jesus has been talking about this whole time. We get it at the very beginning back in chapter 5 as you mentioned the beatitudes. Everything for Jesus has been about the the heart, everything right. that he's discussed to this point. And here we're dealing with issues of of integrity based on what's a real what's a real Binding contract and what's what's not a binding contract based on a few nuances of words and technicalities, and then the second part is is you know well paying all pay paying your tithe right down right down to the little little piece so you know you're submitting your W twos and everybody's checking it and it looks super super great but then the heart issue is still a problem. Mm -hmm. You're not showing mercy. You're not. You're not extending the love that Jesus has has asked of us in in this just conversations about the greatest commandments that he's he's had and that really he's lived out through the course of his ministry. It kind of makes me think about the church. When well, when I think about the church today, I think we behave in very much a similar way with regards to integrity. Um, We want everything we do that can be seen to be seen as having integrity and to be seen as having good character. And we want to appear holy. We want to appear Christian. We want to appear godlike. But then we place lesser importance or emphasis on the heart issues because nobody can see them. And I feel like that's exactly what Jesus is addressing here, the Pharisees, and ex- exactly the battle that the Holy Spirit, I feel like, is up against in trying to address people who are following Jesus today or saying that they're trying to follow Jesus.
1: I think that really comes down to like the, the core of it um, for me. As I've been... <laughs> This theme has come up a number of times over this last week, over these last couple of weeks, in conversations, Natasha, that you and I have had with each other, with others, um, about how, like, it's only outward appearance that we can see, and, and like, kind of the heart things are not necessarily visible. And um, so those are kind of harder to tease out and, and to understand. And I think for. Um, for a long time I have always said well you know like God is the one who sees the heart and we know that God is the one who sees the heart and so like he knows there's no way we'll ever know but that's okay because God knows and this is more just I guess a, a brag on Jesus um But I feel like over these last couple of months, maybe a little more than just a couple of months, this time that we have spent uh, in the church plant, you know, at the church at Riverstone, I have had the privilege within myself beginning to see actions that always existed be filled with the heart that God intended. And I know I still have a long ways to go, but I'm beginning to see like, I'm beginning to understand what it means to have a heart for, for him. That said, as we have spent time together in life, whether it's in our encounter groups or in our worship service or in the afternoon on Sunday or in the evening on Sunday or randomly on a Tuesday night, having dinner together or, or any of the other various times that we find ourselves together, I have watched and, and I have actually begun to see other people and the actions that they had be filled with the heart that God intended. And so while I understand that Jesus is the one who truly sees the heart and I probably still only see through a like a, a, a glass dimly, you know, I, I get that. But when we are genuinely and authentically pursuing Jesus and we are doing that together, we can really start to see the heart. We can start to see each other's heart. And I have been so excited uh, to be a part of this church because I am watching hearts change. Like it, it is happening before our eyes and, and it is so apparent. And, and I know that it's happening because I I'm hearing the testimony of people and I'm, I'm, I'm like watching the testimony of people. I'm watching their life lived out and, and people are, are talking about things that they've always done. But all of a sudden there is, there is, it's, it's more substantial now. Like, they actually understand why they're doing those things. It actually makes sense to them why they would do what they are doing, whether it's in their workplace or in their home as a family. It's just exciting to see. But I think this is this is the, the issue that is key in this life of faith and in this relationship with Jesus. It's the issue that Jesus battled with the Pharisees this this propensity that we have to put the like the best hand forward like the actions where everybody can see to to imitate a life after Jesus without really taking the time to make sure that the heart is also following after Jesus that's what he's calling out to the pharisees he's saying you guys have missed it and i think that's still the same battle that we are fighting thousands of years later, this battle of like playing Christian and being Christian. And I've just been excited to see people that aren't just playing Christian, but are being Christian.
0: I think it really starts with authenticity and having a place to be authentic. Um, I think without the relationships that you establish in, some sort of community, it's really difficult to have your heart exposed um, because you want to trust the people. You want to know that you can trust them. It's difficult to just be vulnerable when you don't know the people you're with. Um, And I think perhaps that's the thing that's lacking in the lives of a lot of Christians today is that they don't have a group of people around them with whom they can be vulnerable, who are also journeying with them towards Jesus.
1: Who are also vulnerable themselves.
0: Right. And so I think I think perhaps that is maybe one of the things that we can really take from from this conversation is the importance of, and I feel like we've probably touched on this before in one of the previous episodes, but this idea of making sure that there are people who you are willing to be vulnerable with, and you are willing to, I don't know, journey with authentically, like where you don't feel like you have to be somebody that you're not, because then you're really just being a Pharisee. Hmm. And that's, that's not going to help grow you. You're lying to at least others and maybe even to yourself. And if you lie to others long enough, eventually you're going to believe the lies too.
3: And so uh, I think like what you guys have been talking about, you know, the, the Pharisees were very black and white. And so, like, it was easy for them to measure out a tenth of, of items. It's, it was harder for them to measure justice and mercy and faithfulness. And so, like, that is why it's so important to live in these communities because it's easier to practice that and understand how to give justice, how to give mercy, how to live faithfully, because it's easier to be vulnerable in those spaces. and You don't have to feel like you have to measure everything because in those spaces, not everything's black and white. Like, you know, when the Holy spirit speaks and speaks to your heart and you begin to have this conversation with Jesus, you begin listening to him, everything, like all those things that are measurable kind of fade away and you, you build what we're really talking about is building a relationship where you can't measure it with a tenth of your you know, offering, so to speak. You can't measure it in the same way. And that's where the, the Pharisees, I really believe, had this struggle, is because Jesus was asking them to do something that they couldn't measure in the way that they were so used to measuring. And so it's like a foreign concept. We, we've talked about this upside-down kingdom and how it's upside-down. But for people who could measure things, like it's either right or it's wrong. It's this way or it's this way. Like, why do I have to give justice to someone who's done something wrong? Like, why do I have to do that? Like, why do I have to give mercy to someone when they've done something wrong? Like, the law says this is what they should get. And Jesus is asking them to live completely different. Like, live beyond your measurables and come into this place where I help you understand what this relationship can look like.
0: He's asking them to trust him more than they trust the law.
1: So perhaps it's time for us to admit. I mean, we've already proclaimed that we live in this upside down kingdom that Jesus has came to bring an upside down kingdom. Well, kingdoms are places of metrics. You know, that's usually a word that could be used with this understanding of measuring and this kingdom of the world has a metric system where it measures success. It measures what it means to live a good life. It measures what it means to be Christian. We kind of talked about that in some of the covenants that you brought up that you had to sign at different places that you've worked, Natasha, last week. And and so maybe it's time for us to recognize and and admit and begin to understand what it means to say, that with the upside-down kingdom that Jesus has brought, he is also beginning to institute some upside-down metrics that we may not fully understand. But he is inviting us to explore what that might look like.
0: Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about the Church at Herberstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.